Well, I believe it was a radical self-expression. I just called a friend one day and said, let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Hi, this is Steve Robbins. And I'm Evan Schulman. And this and is, this is Burning Man, Man, according to us. <laughs> according to us. All right. We're really it's in sync little, today. It's been a little shaky. You know, we haven't we haven't been uh, uh, doing these that often, so happy to get back on the 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 radio waves, the digital radio waves, I suppose. Um, well, we have had a global pandemic, which tends to put a little bit of a damper on gigantic outdoor events in which 80,000 people, you know, do one gigantic uh, puppy pile in the middle of the <laughs> desert. Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, oh, yeah. What? I guess we are in 2021 now. So I guess my mind is trying to willfully forget uh, the 2020 year, even though, you know, all things aren't black and white in terms of uh, all good and all bad. But 2020, that was a hell of a year. A lot of things happened. We're still in a pandemic in 2021, people. So let's not just think that just because uh, the calendar page turned that everything's out in the street and clear. But um, yeah, I, wait, we we had a, things are getting better a little bit. <laughs> we had a 2020. I, I barely remember it. I remember sitting at my desk for a little while, but apparently that little while was an entire year. Yeah, and everything you, I did, I did at my desk. Have you been using eyedroppers to make sure that your eyes are lubricated given the, the amount of screen staring everyone's been doing <laughs> the sad part is there was no noticeable difference in the amount of screen time i i've lived my entire life with such a high percentage of screen time i'm gonna i don't i'm not a particular believer in the pearly gates but if i show up at the pearly gates and <laughs> they say it is time for us to take tally what did you do in your life and i'll say i stared at a screen and they'll say yes but what great works did you do through the screen and i'll just kind of look at them and go I don't know. Like, I don't know if I did any great works. I stared at a screen. You know, I visited a lot of websites, played some games. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like, hmm. We're all just uh, we're all just pixel pushers or electron movers on a big database somewhere. So, did we oh, did well. we move the electrons in a in a interestingly enough way that it was considered art or making the world a better place? That that is to be determined, I suppose. Well, so certainly, I think one of the things you and I believe is that making the world a better place happens through things like. Burning Man and yes. my local regional burn, Firefly. Yes, that's right. And and that's one of the things we wanted to talk about today specifically was uh, last year, as everyone who's probably listening knows, uh, Black Rock City was canceled. Burning Man exists as a project and the Burning Man uh, experience of, I guess, burning the actual man, if you take it that explicitly, uh, did not happen at Black Rock City. It did happen in a different way. And this year we're wondering... Uh, will it happen again? And Steber, yeah, you were just about to talk about uh, your regional burn as well. Yes. Well, first of all, I have to correct you slightly. There were yes, about 3,000 people who went out to the playa. Uh, oh, they I were? Know. Okay, good. Yes, good. Like Fact three, check me. Now, they did not do this with any permission, but it's public land, so technically you don't need permission. Um, but from what I understand, about 3,000 people did show up. They camped far away from each other. Uh, there were no theme camps. You know, There were no giant, giant bits of artwork. But there was a very, very small ad hoc man that was one of the effigies that was burned and uh you know it was burned out on the playa it burned for a few minutes it was actually live streamed i don't know where they got 
enough internet connection to be able to live stream it. But I guess with only 3,000 people there, they may actually have had enough bandwidth to do it. And you can see a very brief, teensy, weensy, itty bitty little burn. So spiritually, <laughs> spiritually it happened. Uh, actually, physically, uh, not so much. And actually, but, physically, not so much. It was at the geographic location. Uh, maybe it was Black Rock Town, Black Rock Village versus Black Rock City in that sense, but in an unofficial capacity because, you know, it didn't officially happen. Exactly. Um, Black Rock Gathering. Black Rock Gathering, yes. Mm. yes. And, and that was, for those who don't know, um, and we're, I'm going to try and do a quick uh, post-production on this episode so we can double launch because the last one I um, still am waiting for post-production, uh, we talked about our experience in the multiverse and kind of did a debrief um, because the 3,000 that were there locally in Black Rock Desert um, were joined virtually by people around the world uh, because of the multiverse and the pandemic and you know doing doing Burning Man online last year. Yes, which by the way was fun. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't it wasn't the burn. It wasn't. It was a different experience than the actual live in-person Burning Man, but you know, I I had a I had a good time. Uh, it was no substitute, however, for the live burn. I mean, for me, the live burn that that's my home. That's that's where I want to keep coming back to, and the online version, although it captured elements of it, elements that I really like, and it did convince me to buy an Oculus Quest too, so that I could do it in the future in in better VR than using a Google Glass equivalent. But it was not it was not sort of mind and culture prodding and stimulating and provoking the way that the event itself is so speaking yeah, of yeah, the event, i also had a good our, time yes yeah go for it our local burn which is firefly the firefly arts collective which is the northeast regional burn, regional burn it happens in vermont they just announced a few days ago that it is canceled again this year the board thought about it long and hard and decided that there were enough unknowns we don't know how many people will be vaccinated. We don't know what the status will be in the surrounding towns. So even if a bunch of the fireflies are vaccinated or somehow immune, we don't know what the status is is in the village that near where it's held. And there's a lot of people who live there. And you know, we don't want to be a vector through which they get infected. We don't know the status of the land. Since we didn't go last year, there's a lot of paths and clearing and actual physical labor that probably needs to be done to prepare the land, which has to be done every year. But if you wait two years, which we've now done, in order to do that, there may be a lot of changes, fallen trees. Uh, you know, one year we had a hawk build a nest right in the middle of one of the clearings. <laughs> and it's a, you know, I mean, wildlife comes first. So we had to block off that entire section of the event space so that we didn't disturb the hawk. So who knows? We don't, we decided that that there's just not enough lead time. When, uh, when is Firefly usually? Yeah, yeah. Usually the 4th of July weekend. Okay. And the re and we need lead time to prepare the land, but we yeah. also need lead time for things like giving people art grants. And people take the art grants and they use it to produce a bunch of the art and the installations that happen at the event. And and even if people are vaccinated, you know, with both with both with uh, both of their shots by the time that Firefly would take place July 4th. They really need to start working on the larger art pieces like now. I mean, these are not things you can put together in a weekend. A lot of these these projects are projects that take weeks or months. And the feeling was we don't want to encourage people to get together to produce art even if it looks like everyone's going to be vaccinated in time to hold the event. Mm. The lead time people are not going to be vaccinated in time to have the lead times and if we encourage people to 
prepare for the event, we are actually potentially encouraging them to get together before they're safe so that by the time they're yeah. vaccinated, they have an art project. But, you know, we, we really don't want to be spreading the virus now. Yeah. And it makes me think of even, um, you know, any type of entertainment production, like, you know, the movie industry trying to come back online. And it's just a whole other layer of logistics, right? Rightfully so logistics just to make sure, you know, people are protected. The communities that are being, um, used as a location for shots are rightfully being protected. Um, but yeah, it's just that extra level of logistics, um, adds time and, and makes it difficult to, uh, just execute at the same the same scale as uh, without those uh, constraints, those design constraints. Well, there's certainly been a lot of frolicking and celebrating online that Firefly was canceled. A lot of the people who go are saying, sending letters to the board saying, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. This was the right decision. Thank you for keeping everyone safe. And then they are segwaying, segwaying, segwaying right into saying, unlike the evil Burning Man organization that doesn't care for anything except dollars and all they want to do is bask in their radical self-reliance with no regard for other human beings, that evil, evil Burning Man organization. <laughs> channeling channeling the ever uh, uh, thread of the kind of counterculture, uh, slightly anti-authoritarian um, uh, roots of the Burning Man culture in many ways, because yeah, prior to Burning Man existing as it does today, it was just people showing up to a beach on a kind of regular ritual. And then it became a little bit more institutionalized and they moved from the SF beach to the desert. So, uh, that, that, that strand of kind of like, yeah, what's up with the man, what's up with the, the, uh, the governing organization kind of, um, only looking out for itself or the dollars. But what are your, oh what are your thoughts on that? I never thought about about uh, what's up with the man. We're, we're, we're going we're going to go burn the man to escape from the man. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a lot of reflexive rebellion against authority, and you know, one of the so I I, I was talking with a member of the Burning Man organization, uh, someone who's very close to the conversations that go on there, and we were talking about this, and they made a couple of really good points. Burning Man is not an anarchy. Burning Man started as an anarchy. It started as a bunch of random people just showing up. But in the mid-90s, Larry Harvey, who's really the founder of the whole thing, he said, in order for us to grow, at some point we have to establish rules and boundaries because an anarchy can only get so big before it falls apart. And we think this has greater potential. We think this can grow and become something, you know, and of course, history has proven him right, become something that is really much, much greater than it's starting. But in order to do that, we need to introduce a new concept. And the original concept was essentially radical self-expression. You can ride around in your car and just shoot bullets in the air and do whatever you want to do. And radical self-reliance. You also have to bring enough stuff because no one's going to provide anything for you. And what he introduced was the notion of civic responsibility. And he said, you know, you can't just count on an infinite number of people showing up and creating a community. At some point, part of what creates a community are are ties that bind people together. It's that people feel not just a sense of, hey, I get to show up here and do what I want, but I get to show up and actually show responsibility to the group. There is an element of going to this event that is about being responsible, about being responsible and accountable to the community. And let's be very clear, that's in direct contrast with radical self-reliance and radical self-expression. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think we've we've discussed in previous episodes, part of those those two ten, of the ten principles are intention, as a yes. lot of the the ten principles are. So it's not that one is right or the other is right. It's that you need to be continually asking yourself, how do these two play off of each other? And even how do they enable each other? Because if you have civic responsibility, that enables you to do things at a scale that allows certain types of self of self expression. Sorry, I did. I said reliance. I meant self. I meant self expression. Uh, uh, with with civic responsibility, you can now have enough stability that you can do things on a much larger and more elaborate scale in terms of the self expression. Just like us having a legal system in the United States enables people to do things on their own, like enables people to start businesses on their own, which. You know, we don't think about it because we take our legal system for granted. But countries that don't have strong legal systems that enforce contracts also end up not having an entrepreneurial culture and a strong business culture. Because if business can't be can't trust the contracts and the community doesn't provide any mechanism for enforcement of contracts, then what happens is business stalls. Because business de- business at any scale depends upon being able to reliably commit large amounts of resources in anticipation of large return. So Burning Man itself is this maelstrom tension between radical self-expression and civic responsibility. Yeah, and I think um, said another way as well, it's like the radical individualism, uh, which also has strands within um, American culture, uh, along with kind of radical communitarianism or perhaps even communism, right? It's like the tension between do we prioritize the all or do we prioritize the individual and how does that play out? And I think also to your point, um, talking about business, you know, ultimately it's about trust, right? Like there's, I guess the, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the truism or aphorism, you know, the only person you can really trust is yourself. yourself. Even then, even then, you know, our brain and egos and, and gut uh, brain does a lot to try and throw us off the scent of ourselves. Um, but at the end of the day, you can only really trust yourself. So it's probably right to have a little bit of a healthy skepticism of, uh, other convening interests um, and coordinated interests. But at the same time, um, uh, what can we do to trust a kind of larger coordinated action and a coordinated activity between multiple individuals? So yeah, how do you let the uh, uh, individual unicorn shine and how do you let the kind of communal mega meta unicorn shine? Um <laughs> Balancing guess, the individual <laughs> unicorn and the meta unicorn. I've yes. never heard it put that way before, but the imagery works for me. Systems, systems upon systems, uh, ecosystems and upon ecosystems. Well, um, you know, I mean, people who really deeply want radical self-expression and radical reliance without the civic responsibility part, we can just say to them, "Great, go start your own event." Yeah. If, if you're so radically self-reliant, why do you why do you need to go to this event that's organized by these people who you don't trust? Right. And and honestly, I mean, there's a real answer to that. And the real answer to that is because it's extraordinarily difficult to put together an event of this magnitude and to have it work in any reasonable way, as the organizers of the Fire Festival found out. If if those of you who are listening don't know what the Fire Festival is, Google Fire, F-Y-R-E, festival. Let's just say that the organizer of the whole thing ended up doing time in jail for fraud. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but it really, you know, it is it is a non-trivial thing to make something like this happen. and. And I, and I think, and, I, and this is also one of the reasons I value Burning Man so much, I don't think that you could recreate it, even with billions of dollars. There's, I, don't think, I don't think you can just buy a culture. It has to attract the right people who have to organize and take ownership of it in the right ways. 
And, you know, in this case, um, you know, to return to this, to our supposed title about Burning Man 2021. So Firefly got canceled and the people online who were, were criticizing the org, you know, I, I talked to somebody close to the org and I said, tell me a little bit what's going on. And yeah, they can did. we trust they, the org? Can we trust <laughs> them to make a good decision here, Stever? What's the, what's, what's the, the take? well, Yes, I was. I was shown the secret minutes where they're <laughs> plotting world domination, and actually, I wasn't. But uh, and this person yeah. did not reveal anything. You know, you know I, I didn't ask. I didn't think it was really appropriate Please to say. Me Tell me about the camera. inner conversations. But what what we talked about is what are the types of considerations that should and are going into this. And let's be really, really clear. Okay, let's assume that the Burning Man organization is nothing but a bunch of greedy people, greedy, self interested people trying to make money right, by getting all these artists to come and produce this artwork for free so that the greedy people at the Burning Man org can make a fortune on the admissions fees, right? I mean, it's the in-person version of Facebook and Twitter. They're basically, they're basically taking advantage of everyone who wants to experience the event uh, uh, to skim off the value of what people have created, right? That's like the worst possible set of motivations we can ascribe to them. Mm-hmm. And even in that case, People seem to forget they need to get permits and insurance. And do you really think an insurance company is going to offer them insurance in an event that has the potential to be an unbelievable super spreader event beyond, you know, of epic proportions? And who knows, you know, since it, since people might go out two weeks in advance, people could actually catch COVID and die while they're on the playa. I'm like, no, you know, it's, it's even if you assume the worst, they have completely self-interested reasons for making sure that the event is a safe event. And by the way, I don't think they're completely self-interested people who are just out to make a buck. I mean, I know a bunch of people who work at the org. They're friends of mine who have moved out there and and so on. And, you know, most of them work there because they really believe in the event and they love the culture and they just want to be part of making it happen. You know, and there are, right, the, the... the org itself, they're far from perfect, but they also understand and ascribe to the 10 principles. I mean, that, that's a big deal for them. And one of the things that, that we really talked about is, is, on one hand, yes, they want people, they, they, could, they could say, they could take the radical self-reliance approach, and they could say, okay, everyone who shows up, it's up to you. You make the decisions of what you consider risky and not risky, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also a civic responsibility piece that they have, which is there are a lot of people who may be misinformed or who may not know or who might do mind-altering substances, which I, you know, almost never happens at Burning Man, but if it were to happen, somebody might do something that would impair their judgment. Perhaps they have a margarita that's a bit too strong. And as a result, they do something that does put them at risk for, for COVID transmission. So, you know, there there is a, a very real question they're having, which is where does their civic responsibility begin and end? You know, they put out porta potties to help keep 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 conditions sanitary. Well, they could not do that and just say, well, you know, you're responsible for your own shit. And, you know, and if you happen to get dysentery or something, you know, well, you you should have planned better. And yeah. they don't do that. Yeah. So, you know, so I I I probably it, also it, because uh to your point, you know. Um, the playa was and is never truly wholly independent of the what is sometimes termed the default world, right? So it's operating within a structure in a society with, guess this, 
uh, public health officials and public health concerns and constraints that they then have to um, operate within as well. Um, which, you know, which, you know, if you take that even further back, well, ideally those public health officials were elected or appointed within a quote unquote free society, um, because they're trying to look after said society. So it's, it's, you know, those decisions are made for a reason and there can be a discussion whether or not, you know, how far along the spectrum, um, they are truly serving those, those initial intents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can, it, it is certainly possible. And I know this because, uh, I am ridiculously cynical myself in my day-to-day life. It, it's certainly possible to say, you know, well, yeah, in the ideal, the public health officials are operating with the public's interest at heart. But you know what? I, I, uh, sorry, but you know, but they aren't really the cynical, the cynical point of view. But you know, even so, I think that there are people in civic service, a lot of people in civic in civil service, who genuinely feel called to act on behalf of the greater good and. Mm-hmm. I'm reasonably sure of this because, frankly, I personally have that urge very, very strongly. Uh, it's only my desire to be able to have a middle-class lifestyle that has kept me from going into a nonprofit or civil servants or, or civil service because I really, you know, I, I like my standard of living uh, and I care about the larger world around me. And it's tough. I mean, our society is so weird about that. If you want a job doing th- doing things whose primary tangible value is to the common good, we expect you to either volunteer them or do it as philanthropy if you're rich or accept a substandard wage if you go work for a nonprofit. Whereas if your only only stated motivation is to accumulate as much for yourself as you possibly can by any means possible, we have no problem with somebody somebody like that um, walking off with hundreds of millions of dollars. It's... It is literally exactly the opposite of the way that I would design a financial system. Well, and, and it's interesting to, you know, to connect it back to the pandemic as well. Like the pandemic opened up this new term, essential worker. So we have all of these different uh, people working in society that we consider essential during a time of lockdown and a time of crises. Um, and uh, many of them are the ones getting our food or helping deliver our food or delivering packages and essential services. Um, and yes, I would agree. They're not paid uh, proportionate to how essential they are. Um, we, we stratify payment in different ways. Yeah, which which is which. That, I mean, that that to me has been fascinating because if if Jeff Bezos is superfluous and redundant, and the person who is delivering my food is essential, which of those two people should be making more money? You know, like like okay, right? I get it. Jeff Bezos set up a company 25 years ago, but it's his million employees that make it run, not him. So, you know, at, at, at what point does he, does he stop getting credit for a million people working for 25 years? And instead we acknowledge, yes, he played a pivotal role. Uh, I, I, this is getting a little too philosophical because like, you know, where my, where my brain wants to go with this is if you actually look at how wealth gets distributed in our country, what gets rewarded is not hard work. And what gets rewarded is not the value that one creates. What gets rewarded is being first. And I don't mean being first into a market. I just mean the people who became billionaires from Google would just happen to be the first few employees. They rolled the dice and got lucky. They happened to be at the company that won. And you, there is no job that you could possibly do at Google, no matter how well you did it and no matter how much it did in excess of what Google has done to date, and walk away with the kind of money that you would have gotten being the secretary at Google the first two years it was founded. You know, and, and I look at that and I say, I don't understand why people miss that. 
like, you know, there's all these stories about how wealth gets distributed. And if you actually look at how it gets distributed, it, most of it comes down to, you know, to timing, which by the way is luck, but let's get back to burning man. <laughs> well, because was, that's one of the things I love about it is yeah. decommodification and no commerce. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna segue that, that part. Cause I, I do think it's relevant, right? Like these, these issues don't exist in bubbles. Like we can put ideological and intellectual bubbles on them to discuss just we meaning like the general public. Um, uh, but there, th- these things do overlap. Right. And I think I was going to segue it back to the pandemic because for me, I feel, um, that's what the pandemic has done is it's created actual time and space to, uh, to have new conversations, right? Like we've probably, people have been talking about the maldistribution of, of wealth, um, and, uh, questioning, you know, labor and essentialism for, for different tasks getting done. Um, and I'm going to read another, uh, the, I'm going to read another thought I had about, um, uh, the pandemic and, and getting Black Rock City set up for this year, where I said, this is in the survey, because basically the, the Burning Man organization sent a survey out to, to, you know, the community to say, hey, what are your thoughts on opening this year? Um, and so the, the one I read about, you know, this is not in a bubble, the, the pie and the default world actually coexist in reality. Um, Damn it. And another one, another one was I wrote, uh, it feels like the pandemic has exposed and exacerbated deep rifts in our quote unquote modern society. Um, and I think that uh, we actually are able to slow down now. Right. And I, uh, I'm trying to find here. Oh yeah. I said, I, I, I personally fear that returning to black rock city without some kind of shared understanding or commitment from our community to address supremacist ideologies, which we finally had, the time and mental space to, uh, have a national conversation about in some way, shape or form, um, and financially and socially inequitable structures, um, without, without having a shared understanding commitment to address that, uh, that will mean we've missed the opportunity. This moment has provided the pandemic moment has provided to truly evolve in a larger radical way than just short termism and year long resets allow. Right. Because if you think about it, Burning Man has basically had an annual, okay, cadence, right? Okay, we do the event, and then we close down the event, and then we reassess, and we tweak the ticketing system, um, and then we, you know, come up with our new theme, and we do the art grants, and, you know, the institution, just like any institution, gets into a rhythm and a, and a, and a flow with their networks for executing this event. But when you have a lockdown, whether uh, on a particular event or, you know, nationally or globally, um, that provides a certain time that you don't usually get when you're regularly executing that rhythm. And so my take on the, you know, should Burning Man uh, happen this year is I totally understand that people want it to happen at an institutional level, at an individual level, at a cultural level. Um, you know, everyone wants to go back to the social environments that they enjoyed pre pandemic, but, um, because we don't know the long-term effects of, uh, uh, vaccine because we, um, that's not to say I'm, I think everyone should get vaccinated, but the data is short and, you know, we don't know if people need to get revaccinated, how often needs someone needs to get revaccinated. Um, there's the new variants showing up. And so I think all of this is, uh, giving us a chance to respond and reflect and redesign the experience because in my mind, I've been saying 2020 was a reaction, right? So 
pandemic's happening. We, ha- uh, you know, we have to figure out how the world's going to respond, how each individual is going to respond. And so 2020 was a year of reacting, kind of knee-jerk, quick, like, how are we going to fix this? Okay, great, we can do it online, you know, set these things up, ask the community to support. But if we just go back to the event, I think we're really missing an opportunity to not just react, but to respond, to mindfully, thoughtfully respond and address some of the um, deeper conversations that happened as a result of last year, both in terms of Black Lives Matter and radical inclusion, as well as economic uh, equity, um, and really, you know, take the time to invest in perhaps a more equitable ticketing system for uh, for the event. Not to happen this year, but next year. And my other well, take. I, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, I, I actually think it would be great. I wonder if we could get somebody who has more inside knowledge of how the org is having these discussions. Cause I know these conversations are happening. You know, I know that because I, um, uh, my day job is, is in anti-racist, uh, not activism at all, uh, in anti, in, in using business and finance to actually undo and reverse certain racist elements of our economy. And, it interests me a great deal. And the ticketing procedure for Burning Man has struck me not just, not really as, well, not as overtly racist. What it is, is it's classist. And it just so happens that given the wealth distribution in America, classes, classist policies and racist policies, you know, they affect the same people, essentially. And and it's easy to get a ticket for Burning Man if you have the kind of job that lets you sit in front of a web browser on a high-speed computer with a good internet connection hitting refresh for three and a half hours at exactly 3 p.m. on the day the tickets go on sales or, or noon or whatever your time zone is. But if you have a retail job or if you have the kind of job where you don't have control over your hours or if you don't have a computer where the, with a high-speed internet connection, if you have to use your phone or, or you know, you have a computer, but just crappy internet or whatever, you know, all of those things would prevent you from attending. And I'm reasonably sure from the conversations that I've had with some of the people closer that, that they're not unaware of these things and they are concerned about them and they're looking for solutions. And it's also tricky given the level of demand for the event. And, uh, you know, I know that one of the things that they, they don't want to do is they don't want to go to one of these gigantic, ticketing operations like a ticket master or something like that, that, that are really problematic in terms of just, you know, totally funneling money into a, uh, uh, into an economic black hole, et cetera. But at the same time, they have to run an event where 70,000 people are going to get actually more than 70,000 are going to try to get tickets all at the same instant, et cetera. So this is a long way of saying that I think that maybe at some point we should have a conversation about things like ticketing and radical inclusion and racial justice and all the things that came up during the year off and find out which of these is the org thinking about. And I don't think it's realistic, by the way, to think that they're trying to think about everything and solve all social problems because, you know, that's number one. The solutions are different depending on who you are uh, and, who, and what you think the solution should look like. And B, you know, this is an event. And I I don't know that it's realistic to expect I don't know that it's realistic to expect an event to solve all social problems plus have a solution to a pandemic plus 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 plus. I mean, you know, this is this is a an institution that's primarily staffed by volunteers and and uh while they certainly are trying very hard to create a certain culture etc cetera, etc, cetera, you know, I think those of us those of us who attend the event and are part of the community and want to be part of it also need to acknowledge 
you know, there's there, Burning Man is not the be all and end all of social change. It's it's a work in progress, and it has the unbelievable privilege. And I don't mean privilege in the social. I, I don't mean privilege in the social justice sense. I mean it has it has the ability to reboot itself every year, which is something that very few institutions in the world can do. And the infra, even just the physical infrastructure gets recreated from scratch for the most part every single year. So it be, it can become a laboratory and it can become a way to experiment about solving these problems, but you can't address everything at once. And I think you really have nailed it that if we spend this year, if we were to take this year off, we could spend a bunch of that time, again, if this is actually how they're spending it, uh, to find out wh- how do we propose, w- when we think about coming back, what could we reinvent and how would we reinvent it and what problems would we be trying to solve? But this is if we take the year off. Right. And that's, and, that's where I, I feel like, you know, the, the argument has been, well, you know, it takes a lot of momentum and energy to spin up uh, all the resources to make the event happen in Black Rock City. And, you know, we're looking at it very closely. We're weighing if we should do it or not. They, there probably is a, um, you know, a deadline for a, a go or no go decision. But my my gut feeling uh, and my preferred strategy would be make the decision now. Don't belabor it, and take all that intellectual energy and the labored energy and the coordination energy not in putting on the event, but instead because also. Burning Man and the culture and the project is not the event, right? The event is a, a, a big container and holder for it, and it's an originator of it. But there are all of these regional communities. There are Burners Without Border groups. And my take would be, yes, let's make the decision earlier not to have the event. And instead of, you know, going wishy-washy, oh, should we do it? Should we not do it? You know, do we need the resources at the ready for just-in-time standing up Black Rock City? No, make the decision now to say, hey, we're not going to do it. We're going to take this time to continue to reflect from last year, redesign our ticketing system, and invest in the community, which is the regional networks and Burners Without Borders, and involving them in the conversations about how we can make this a more equitable, inclusive um, uh, event and experience and culture and community, right? And I also want to shout out, um, because I know, you know, Burning Man Org, has recently had their statements about um, diversity and radical inclusion and uh, opening up working groups and conversations around that. But I do want to call out uh, K-Viva Burning Man Camp. Um, And I see that they were also featured on a podcast called The Intersection, uh, Episode 9, Black Lives Matter, Black Rock City, because I know that is specifically um, uh, a theme camp for people of color who have been raising this issue for quite some time and kind of speaking to the fact that, hey, we say we're radically inclusive and yet look at the makeup of Um, of our community. And so these conversations have been happening and I think it's time to, you know, not just go into the regular rhythms of, okay, let's figure out how to stand this up, but say, yeah, let's take the time. Let's rethink it. Let's invest in our community networks at large um, and, and our burners with borders uh, uh, community at large and, and go from there. But that, that's my personal take just to answer the question. Yeah. I was about to say, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, sort of push back. I mean, I, the thing is, is you're, you're operating from a very high and mighty philosophical, you know, long-term event. And I'm just kind of thinking, damn it, I want to go back to Black Rock City. 
And of course. I'm willing I'm willing to stay six feet six feet away from people and I'm willing to wear a mask and you know, but like I just I want to go back to my event. Gosh darn it. Um and so you know, you're you're bringing these points. I'm kind of like, ooh, I like I like what you're saying if we can make sure it happens. And I don't know, you know, like, and I literally just don't know, is the org and the camp that you're talking about, are these conversations going on? Are there, um, uh, you know, are, are there, is there going to be, is, are we going to get a big enough bang for our buck by taking the year off that, um, you know, that it's worth it, that it's worth foregoing another year on one hand. On the other hand, of course, there's also still all these questions about, is it even feasible given the, you know, given the state of vaccines and if Firefly has to start planning seven months in advance and Firefly is one seventieth the size of Burning Man, you know, it may already be too, in fact, normally by now tickets are on sale or they, they go on sale right about now. So, yeah, you know, so is it even possible? Like, let's say they decide they want to do it and let's say that the public health officials say, yes, you can do it. And let's say that they come up with, with admissions protocols or whatever that they believe will address the civic responsibility and the need to keep everyone safe and the insurance companies and everyone sign off on it, even if all of that happens, um, uh, you know, is it is is there even enough? Just just, but in terms of hours, is there enough time to do it? Um, and you know, if there isn't, how do we make sure that what you're talking about actually? Um, you know, actually happens that we use the time intelligently as opposed to just put everything on hold while we wait for, you know, yeah. while we while we wait for the rest of the stuff to come together. And I, I think that's a fair point. And I think that's also why I would personally be in favor of making a strong statement and decision that says, hey, you know, there's still a lot of unknown variables. We could have waited two or three more months to see if it makes sense to do it. But we're going to make the decision now so that we can also focus on these other strategic priorities, not just putting on the event, which has its own uncertainty because of health risks um, and, and other issues. But we're going to give ourselves that extra two or three months and publicly claim that we're going to be focusing on these other aspects of the culture and community um, in light of last year and this year and just the opportunity to actually think through and integrate and involve the community in these conversations. And I think when you make that type of public statement and decision, much like you make a public statement and decision, we are going to have the event on this date, um, then there's community accountability, right? And if if they say, hey, we're going to, uh, forget if it was a pandemic, right? Any other year pre-pandemic, Burning Man happens, they say, hey, we're going to have it on this date and time. If they didn't have it on that date and time outside of extenuating circumstances, people would be like, what's going on? Why are we giving you ticket money? Why, you know, this is bad governance or whatnot. So similarly, I feel like they could make a statement that says, hey, we're going to take this seriously and we're going to make these decisions. And the community ideally can hold them to account on on following through on that. And not just from the, uh, what do you call it? Um, not the soapbox, the, uh, the peanut gallery, you know, sitting back as a non-participant viewing it and saying, yeah, let me see how this goes. Ah, you didn't meet your goal. No, but as active participants in wanting to make this uh, succeed, these conversations succeed and this redesign uh, succeeds that we can come out of a post metamorphosis 2019 burn out of a multiverse of all the different possibilities. What, what universe will we land in of all the timelines that are possible and into, in my view, a 2022 of something that was not going to be possible if we stuck to the regular rhythm and cadence, if we didn't take the time to reflect and listen and redesign. Um, I think 2022 could be even more beautiful of an event, uh, with beauty as a as a definition for um, perhaps you know 
being more inclusive and more uh, artistic and more integrated and more participatory and kind of weeding out individuals who are just there for the spectacle and for the Instagram shots and, and you know, the things that we usually complain about. Right. It, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I had a conversation with someone who's been going for many, many years about the Instagram people and the people who are just there to, to take the pictures and stuff. And, you know, the, the impression the impression that I got is that, that, you know, truly there's an awful lot of people who wouldn't mind if those people never came back. <laughs> and, um, if they're and not going to stick it? around because it doesn't happen for two years. Like Steve, I have a feeling as much as you want to go back. Cause I also want to go back. Like I miss it. And that was part of the survey. The first question they asked was 2020 was rough. What do you miss most? Right. And gave people a chance to share what they miss. So I have no doubt that as much as you want to be there, if you had to wait another year, maybe even two years, three, I'm not, I won't, I won't put a, I won't put a, a, a wager on it, but that you would, you're committed enough and interested enough in the community, unless it fully deviates from the spirit that brought you there, that you would come back. Right. But other people, maybe not so much, um, because they're just going to go to the next sparkly, pretty thing that, right. which by the way, I mean, yay, yay them. <laughs> like, sure. you know, there's, if what you want is a rave, you know, there's a lot of cheaper raves you can go to. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, um, yeah, uh, you know, I am, I am noticing our time and you said you had a hard stop. I do. Um, yes. So uh, why don't we close it out? But, um, I know, uh, yeah. How, how would you like to close? Let's do a, a two minute, uh, well, conclusion. So first of all, I do want to tell our listeners, assuming that we actually get this up before, <laughs> before this fall, yeah, the okay. theme for Burning Man 2021 is Terra Incognita. Ooh, I didn't know that. And okay. Yes. Yeah. The theme is terra incognita, which is basically we are in uncharted territory. We have an opportunity to, to reinvent and to reconsider what we build and why. Hmm. Almost as if they've been talking to you, only you didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> dum to dum dum. And I, I love um, that too, because it also plays with the idea of the mystery and not being afraid of the mystery and things that are unpredictable or unknown, but kind of relishing it as a space and opportunity to, um, you know, create something new. Um, yeah, there is, there is a little bit of, I have to just say it just because my mind's been on it recently. There is a little bit of what I feel or sense is some colonial language there. Like, Oh, uncharted territory. We must discover it. Um, but, but I will, <laughs> we must discover it and exploit it. <laughs> I will hold both of those in tension and I will try to focus more on the positive aspects of, um, uh, no, no, uh, what, rebirth. What, <laughs> the, the phrase terra incognita is latin for unknown land unknown land okay that's yeah. all it's that's all it means there's okay. no there's no explicit hey there's some natives you can enslave here no 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 no. it's just unknown land unknown okay <laughs> yes yeah, so uh, unknown land and you know um in five five months 22 days seven hours 28 minutes and nine seconds from when i started that sentence <laughs> we'll know what happens because that's when the man burns the man may burn in virtual reality or in real reality or in both or in neither and we'll continue to discuss it and the culture and the principles right here on burning man according to us you can always check us out at burningman.accordingto.us where we post all of our episodes we welcome feedback and emails um and uh, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll talk with you soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs>